Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the anxiety podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week, I am thrilled to be joined by author and my dear friend, Louise O'Neill. She's the author of four books. Most recently, she brought out The Surface Breaks, which is a feminist retelling of The Little Mermaid, which we all know and love from our childhood. Louise is just incredible we have such an amazing conversation about anxiety and all the different ways it's manifested for her and everything that she does to this day to keep it in check and she has so much wisdom and so many tips and so many really interesting ways of looking at things and obviously I'm her pal so I could have sat there all day it's probably one of the longest podcasts I've done so I'm not going to go into what we talk about because I'm going to leave that for you before I let you go I just want to remind you that there's still tickets available to my publishing masterclass which is on July 20th in the Alex Hotel Um, and Louise will actually be there with me she's going to be my special guest along with Holly White who was a recent podcast guest and also something that's come to my attention is that people who find the podcast and love the podcast and message me to say they've found it really helpful aren't necessarily aware that I have two books out that cover the topics that I'm discussing in the podcast in book form so Owning It was my first book it was all about managing anxiety and when that came out it went to number one straight away for 16 weeks here in Ireland and is now available around the world in different countries so if you are finding the podcast helpful I'll put the link to the book in the little description um, I think they do work really well together to have the book to refer back to and the podcast to listen to and the second book is called The Confidence Kit and there are topics in that book that I'm going to go into a little bit more as time goes on in the podcast and that's more about the fear of failure, imposter syndrome, why we feel fear um, so lots of information in there in both books and thank you so much for your feedback as always the reviews mean the world to me because it just bumps the podcast up on the list of, of charts so people can find it easier and any feedback is so much appreciated thank you so much and enjoy this episode with Louise O'Neill I'm 
so happy to be joined by actually this time a friend which yeah. is so lovely because it doesn't feel like a formal interview set up when we're just having a chat Louise O'Neill very very successful author of how many books is it now it's four I'm trying I nearly have to count myself I'm like how many it's four yeah one of the first things I wanted to ask you was something that comes up in like every interview I've done and I've done so many of them now for this is social media Mm. and that being such a huge driver of anxiety Mm -hmm. and for me I've such a I feel kind of it's like I'm in a, a bad marriage with it or something. Yeah. It's like I, I kind of, it's security and I need it and it's, it's, it's where my work is, but I, like, it makes me feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And like, love, hate relationships. Sometimes it's good because I can put out my podcast and connect people straight away. And other times I'm scrolling and scrolling and feeling yeah. like crap. Yeah. So I'm assuming because you're not on social media anymore. Mm. You're, well, you're on Twitter, aren't you? Are no. You? Um, I, I still have my author Facebook page. And the reason why I kept that is because I have, zero interest in Facebook yeah. so I have no you know that kind I of throw phone. something up on it yeah. and I won't think about it and then like you know I won't look to see how many likes it's had I won't yeah. look to see what the comments are like I don't really care I just don't seem to care as much about it whereas um, with Twitter and Instagram which I came off I'm a, a year um, off it now and I thought because you were only going to go off them for a while yes while I, was you were take, I was just going to kind of see and then I suppose the longer I stayed off it, the less I wanted to go back on. You know, it was funny, before this, I used to do, every month, I would go to, like, a nice hotel somewhere in Cork or Kerry, like, somewhere not too far away from me. Um, and I would take a 24-hour detox from my phone. Like, I would leave my phone in the car. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't even look at it. I wouldn't have it anywhere near me. And then when I was coming back in the car on the way back to Clonakilty, and I turned on my phone, I could just feel the anxiety began to creep mm. up, you know, like I could just feel it in my stomach and then sort of like rising up my throat nearly. Um, and it just was this feeling of complete fear of w- what email is going to come in? What has someone said? You know, I posted that yesterday. You know, what if that has ruined my career in a, you know, that's, I'm not sure if you've read So You've Been Publicly Shamed. You know, yes. Like, yeah. I, I listened to the audiobook. Yeah. Like yeah. Justine Sacco, you know, that you tweet something. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my God. Before you get on a plane that, and you get to just listen to that gave me so much anxiety. Yeah. You know, know, it's that thing of turning on your phone and someone going, yeah. Have you seen the news? I know. And you're public enemy number one. Yeah. Like. And I'm like, I, I mean, I, I, actually, it's, it's so irrational because I'm like, I would never have said anything. Well, you would hope not that would be misconstrued as, uh, racist or sexist or you know offensive um, in that way because you would hope that you would try and be careful about what you're putting out into the world and what mm. you're articulating but I also think there's such an interesting conversation I suppose to be had around cancel culture you know which is something that I think we're really um, we're really struggling with at the moment and it's trying to I think really look at it in a nuanced way and say that it's really important that we're having these conversations it's really important that people are being held to task it's really important that people say no it's not acceptable if you use this sort of language if you're transphobic if you're homophobic if you're um if you're if you're using racist language but then also these are still human beings like there has to be a way of human error people yeah of holding people accountable for their mistakes um, and that's important because I think too long, particularly white straight men, have sort of been allowed to get away with this. You, know, you have to be held accountable for your behaviour. Mm-hmm. But there also has to be a way, I suppose, of rehabilitating people. Like, I want to believe in the power that, yeah. of change. Yeah, and that there's no real room for that at the moment, is there? It's like if someone makes a mistake or... I mean, even just how things... This is, we're going off topic here, but even, you know, 
I heard a, a phrase about how can you hold the moral standards of today up to something that happened 30 years ago mm. and put the same logic on and say, well, they said this terrible thing 30 years ago mm. when maybe 20, 10 years ago we were all saying different things that were socially oh, acceptable at the time. 100%. And I know even, and I think that actually causes quite a lot of anxiety as well, is this fear of will I be cancelled, you know? Um, and Cancelled? Is it a cancelled culture? Yeah, you know, and I think it's... Because sometimes with Facebook, you know, it's like on this day and it'll come up things that I wrote in 2008. I'm like, Jesus. I know. And like, it's not, it's not yeah. offensive. Like, you know, I wasn't, as you said, I wasn't being racist or I wasn't yeah. using that kind of... But it, it's just, it feels really outdated. It feels like ignorant. It yeah. feels like a lack of... I'm like, oh, I would never say that now. Or I look at articles even yeah. that I read... Or that I wrote in 2014 that now I think, oh, I wouldn't, I don't think that way yeah, anymore. Yeah, but that's just like growing up and changing. Yeah. And, and you have to have space for that. Yeah. And I think that, I think that contributes to a lot of the anxiety. And for, for me, I think with um, social media, the reason why I quit was because I am someone, I'm quite competitive. Um, I've always, you know, I recently was playing a game of um, Guess Who with my best friend's four-year-old daughter and when we played five games, um, and she actually turned to me and she said, "Would you just let her win one?" Oh. You know, and, like, <laughs> and her um, husband was like, "Wow, you're really not taking it easy on our four year." Like I was like, "No, I have to." Yeah, and, yeah. Okay, I have to take a step back here. So I think there's a part of me, and I really I try and sort of challenge that because I think that being competitive can be helpful in certain ways. You know, it, if you're competitive with yourself and you know you're trying to, I don't know, create good work and you're trying to improve and you're trying to push yourself. Um, but I think the problem is sometimes is that that kind of can give way to comparison. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it's that, that thing of, Oh, you know, to compare is to despair. Yeah. Um, and I think with social media, it, it got to a point where if I was feeling really great about something that had happened to me and then I would go on social media and I would see something that was happening for someone else. That, you, f- you feel like their success is taken from yours. Yeah. And it's, I know. it's ridiculous. It's so weird. Cause it's like, we live in this infinite world. I know. You know, there's so much opportunity. There's so many, um, there's there's so many I think chances and there's so much abundance and there's so much out there for all of us but I really started to feel like as if I wasn't doing enough I wasn't good enough I wasn't working hard enough I wasn't achieving enough I wasn't far enough in my career um, and I think for for me because I'm a real perfectionist as well and that's something that you know I, I work with all the time and I try and you know improve you know not improve but I try and challenge and I try not to let that take over but it's really undercut by this this feeling of I'm not good enough Mm. which I think is sort of the crux of the human condition yeah and with social media it just every day just felt like I'm just not I'm not good enough and do you feel I guess you're obviously you're way ahead of me in terms of books and stuff but I feel like I can't not be on it because I that's my promotional tool but do you do you is it do you get anxiety because you're not on it because you can't be there promoting and keeping a narrative going I think it's well firstly I don't I, I we won't get into like <laughs> oh yeah sorry know, like, I'm after comparing and, like, yeah. <laughs> like no well you're here and I'm here yeah. and it's like, no I I think see it's different with you because I think that like with your podcast um, and with um, the way that your career has been set up and you know that I think you do have it's about me yeah and I hate to use the word influencer because I feel like that's sort of become nearly like a dirty word at the moment you know but I think there's something really important about the way that you've harnessed social media for your for your message and I think to a certain point I was also doing that because what I was talking about in social media was much bigger than than me yeah um, but I also think I don't know if social media sells books and I'm talking about fiction anyway you know mm. I I know that 
like I remember going to uh, Kerry um, with on with a friend of mine, um, uh, Jessie Burton. You know, she's a she's a novelist, and and she sold millions of, of copies. And there was I, I think I was recognised around two or three times while we we were there, and she was really funny because she was like, oh my god, this is like this is really this is really interesting. She said this doesn't normally happen with mm. authors, and a part of me felt I suppose that there was the exposure and there was the having your face being recognised and being an accidental kind of activist or spokesperson and then feeling that well actually I would much rather have a quieter life in certain ways mm-hmm. um, and you know she's not on Twitter and I think she's on Instagram but she doesn't have like hundreds of thousands of followers and it's like you can it does it sell books yeah you know and if it's having and if you enjoy it and you're you know you feel the benefit of having that uh, ability to communicate with people and you feel that sense of community then you know go for it Mm -hmm. but if it's really taking a toll on your mental well-being and you don't enjoy it then it's like does it actually like does it sell books yeah i'm not sure i I honestly i don't know i would love i guess it depends on the nature of what you're of what you're selling like you say and when you get to a point where you're established as an author and not as just a social media person yeah that obviously helps as well but i'm curious about were you very quickly noticing the difference in your anxiety from being on it to being off it like what was how would you compare it to really yeah and tell me what it, what does it feel like when you let, uh, yeah. when you let go? Um, it just well, firstly, it felt like as if I'd been holding my breath for a year, and then all of a sudden I was able to exhale. Um, and I think that's the best. There was a tightness in my chest that felt like that was kind of loosening. Um, and I, I think as well, I just cared less because mm. I think when you're on it particularly this was as you know the more people that follow you or the more people that you know that you're interacting with on a daily base basis um you, you start hearing a lot of opinions mm. um and there was a lot of other voices in my head and a lot of people telling me what they thought of me how they felt about me what they you know thought of of my work um and things like that and sometimes it was good and sometimes it was really 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 vile and I remember my dad saying to me because you know, he used to play football um when he was younger and he said he stopped reading the papers after a match and he said because if i believed the good then i'd have to believe the bad and he said it it didn't matter because it didn't affect like the match mm. was played do you know he said there was no way of going back and changing the way that he had he had performed in that match so he's like what was the point of torturing yeah. um, himself and he, he kept saying it to me he was like just don't read any of it mm. um, and that's fine because you know I don't read good re- reviews I don't read Amazon reviews but if someone asks you in a tweet or you on Instagram it. it's just straight in your face yeah. um, and I started I think you know you, you become very aware of how you're being seen and how you're being viewed um, and that made me feel really self-conscious. Mm. And I think that once I once I came off it, it was this feeling of actually the only people that I really need to worry about is how I feel about myself, how my boyfriend feels about me, how my family feels about me and how my friends feel about me. And all of a sudden it felt like my world had become smaller mm. in a way that felt safer and it felt more manageable. Oh my God, it just sounds like, it sounds like the dream. What are we all doing? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, on, like, it's really hard because social media was really beneficial for my career when I first started off and I was in West Cork and I didn't know anybody I didn't know anyone in the publishing industry you know I was able to kind of create these relationships through social media Mm. 
that re- really helped. That's how we got to know each yeah, other. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and like I know even editors of magazines in the UK and you, that I was able to DM them and say, look, I, I know you get millions of proofs, but like mine will be coming in. Is there, you know, and mm. you'd hope that maybe it might make them decide to pick it up and read it. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to give it a good review or feature it, but I would never have had that ability yeah. to reach those people living in a small town in Ireland if I hadn't had social media. And it also really informed my sense of feminism, my sense of sort of um, my politics, my sense of myself in that way. So I think that it's been really useful and beneficial, particularly for women and other people who've been marginalised by traditional media. It has, I think, given them space in order to have their voices be heard in a way that maybe traditional media didn't. Mm. But I also think it's like this giant thought experiment (laughs) and we're the guinea pigs. And if you look at, like in Silicon Valley, you know, the, when people talk about that, like their children are not allowed to have phones. Their children mm. are not allowed to have social media accounts because the people who are closest to this, I think, can see how addictive it is and how mm. damaging it can be. Because if you're using it, that's fine. But if it's beginning to control you and if it's beginning to use you, I think that's where the problem, mm. that's where the problems and begin. did things like your sleep improve? Um, yes. Well, I mean, I've always had issues with um, my sleeping. Um, I went through a phase of just I'd wake up every kind of at 2 a.m. and not be able to get back to sleep. And I've, I've, I've suffered with insomnia. Um, I do transcendental meditation. This mm-hmm. has been a recent thing that has been transformative. Um, and I also take um, CBD oil um, and that's also been really, really oh, helpful. Oh yeah, so people keep asking me about CBD oil and I haven't tried it so I can't say anything but yeah. what, what do you do with it? Just... Um, I, you know, it's like a, it, it tastes like, you, you ingest like it? an ashtray. Okay. Yeah, so you, you spray it um, underneath your tongue at like three times a day uh, for, and you kind of hold it for like 90 seconds um, yes. and then yeah, it's 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 really like, my boyfriend gets really annoyed whenever I do. He's like, "Ugh, can you brush your teeth?" Really <laughs> I can smell it from across the room, um, and it's just been like, it's for anxiety. Yes, it is for anxiety, um, and I have found, I, I suppose, because it's sort of correlated with the time of doing the transcendental meditation as well. So I think the two in hand, yeah. but I found it really helpful for sleeping, and that I all of a sudden was sleeping eight hours, wow. um, which before I would kind of I would wake a lot. You know, mm. I would you know, I'd get up and then I'd try and go back to sleep and I'd, you know, um, so I, I found that really, really, really useful. Yeah, it's probably a bit of that and a bit of obviously having the headspace from technology and yeah. all those things. Yeah, it, I, it's there a is no one, one silver yeah. bullet. And yeah. I think that's the thing is that it is a multi sort of disciplinary um, sort of, I think, plan that you have to take. Yeah. And, you know, so there's there's loads of things, you know, like I started exercising more. Um, I, you know, really tried to eat really well um, and have a lot of sort of healthy carbohydrates and things like that in my diet. Um, I tried to, you know, spend less time on my phone, uh, turn my phone off at eight o'clock every evening, not look wow. at it when I get up in the morning. You're obviously very disciplined. I guess as being a writer and having to yeah. get into that headspace, yeah. you get used to being putting these, um, I guess, disciplines on yourself where you say, you know, restrictions is what yeah. I'm looking for, where I feel like... I'm trying to get there. I'm reading a book yeah. called Deep Work. Have you oh, read it? No, I haven't. Oh Who's that my by? god, Cal Newport. Okay, it is incredible, and it's all just systems and approaches to getting into a, a, a point where you're able to do deep work, which is the kind of work that you're doing, and yeah. get you away from the shallow work, which is the emails and the the flitty bits, bits and bobs, and how all of it like our distraction and our focus and everything. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, you have to be real badass with yourself yeah. about it. Like you have to be like the phone is staying over there. Yeah, you know, it's not. I can never just have my phone. Like yesterday, this is just an example. 
I was getting real fed up of Instagram. I was scrolling and I was like just seeing people, you know, posting their, their best bits and being like, because I was having a bad day. And I was like, I'm going to delete Instagram. 10 minutes later, I was like, shit, I need to DM someone about something. How to fucking download it again. I see, that, that is the problem. Yeah. And then I felt like this complete like slave control thing. It was awful. I think it's, it, it is about trying to, as you said, trying to be really disciplined. And like, it's easy. Well, not easy, no, because it's really hard. And I still find it really hard. And I think I have made myself become, in, in lots of ways, I think I have made myself be someone that I'm not naturally. And I'm going to, like, when I, I remember when I was working at L in New York, I was like, I'm really struggling with this, but I'm not naturally someone who's very organized. I'm not naturally someone who's very, you know, the boss, my boss was like lists and folders and, you know, like really just, my sister actually, who's a primary school teacher would have actually been much, and has no interest in fashion, would have been much better suited to that job because she is someone who is just Mm. quite a type A personality and like really just perfectionistic about, you know, everything being perfectly um, organized. But I think I actually made myself in the same way that I used to sleep till like noon when I was um, well into my 20s and then I made mm. myself into a morning person. Wow. So I think there's been and people say, oh, you're really organized. And I always have my lists. And I and I say, mm. actually, it's because I'm not naturally an organized person or because I'm not actually naturally a disciplined person. Mm. I have to be a little bit stricter with myself. And I suppose because I see what happens when. I'm not disciplined when I see when I'm not meditating, when I'm not exercising, when I'm not, um, you know, spending less time on my phone. I see the impact that has on me. You know, I see the that I the anxiety begins to rise. Um, my eating habits can get a little bit funny. You know, mm. I just don't feel as well in myself. So maybe because of having had a mental um, health issues, I have to be disciplined. Mm. Maybe if if I could you know scroll all day on instagram and if i could eat um a lot of junk food and if i did never exercise and it had no real impact yeah on, then maybe i wouldn't yeah I'd exactly. grand, sure doesn't yeah. it doesn't it doesn't affect me whereas i can see things sliding if i yeah. don't yeah so talk to me about anxiety then um is it something that's always been in your life well you know what's really funny caroline um is and i was chatting to a friend of mine who um has an anxiety disorder i have two very close friends who have um anxiety disorders and i was talking to one of them um and I said to her, you know, I said, I, I never thought that I had anxiety. Um, and it was, you know, I'm, I'm two years properly in recovery now um, because I had a relapse in 2016 and I'm sort of, two, it'll be two years in June. Um, and it was only when I went back into recovery that I realised that I actually was incredibly anxious, but that I had been using the eating disorder as a way of managing it. So I thought I was very calm. I thought I was one of the most chilled out people. Nothing ever really got to me. I was mm. just so like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Because anything that happened stressful that would bring up anxiety, I would use, you know, either I would skip a meal or I would uh, make myself get sick or I would do something like that that actually took the anxiety you were channeling it into yeah that. And, yeah. In, and awareness just that's why people have addictions yeah because in so it does actually serve like a really fucked up and dysfunctional yeah function but it does serve that um so when i stopped doing that it just it was really overwhelming because it all came off because then you had your you have to confront the reality uh, absolutely where i just felt like oh my god i'm so anxious i'm just i just feel constantly really uneasy I just feel really afraid um I am really worried about my career you know and I and I have been someone who'd all and actually it's coming back now it's only now I think that I'm really feeling that sort of positive expectation around my life coming back but 
I just felt so overwhelmed by it. Um, and it was it a lot of it career related? Um, yeah, it was everything. It was literally, I mean, this was a lot of it probably, you know, I think a great deal of it was career related, but I'd never, I suppose it also coincided with the time where I had written Asking For It. I'd written the first draft of Asking For It before Only Ever Yours came out. So Almost Love was the first novel that I was releasing that was coming out after being published. Okay. And following up Asking For It was never going to be an easy proposition no. anyway. So from the moment I started writing, I felt in a constant state of fear and anxiety. Just this awful, just sense of... How are you going to yeah, strike you know, and twice? People or... want asking, they're going to want asking for a part two and I don't, as a as a creative person, as an artist, I don't want to do that. Um, and I think there was just a lot of a fear around that. So it was just really interesting, I think, to see the fact that I'd always seen myself as a very chilled out. I didn't let things get to me. Mm. I didn't let things bother me. So interesting. And then go, oh no, 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 no. It was just all being channeled over here. And now that I'm coming back into my own body and now that I'm really feeling my feelings and now that I'm really connecting with myself mm. again, I was like, I have this deep well of anxiety, you know. In a way, did that help you make sense of the eating disorder, though? That it was like, yeah. well, if I know that it's anxiety that I'm putting in this box, maybe I can decide not to put it in that box. Even though it's Even though it's going to be so difficult to deal with the reality of the anxiety, yeah. it's going to be easier than... It is. You know what the thing is, is that it was it was really hard and it was really horrible. But I was like, I would rather have this anxiety and deal with it in a way that is healthy and sustainable. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, and life affirming. and that kind of anxiety won't kill you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think you know, it, it 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 came to a point where I was like, well, I can manage this. I can manage yeah. this with, as I said, you know, meditation, eating well, exercising, um, and. You know, I'm lucky that I don't need to take... Well, no, lucky is the wrong word because I think, you know, I really... I get really annoyed when I hear people say, talk about, you know, um, medication um, and, you know, sort of, oh, you know, you can... It's just a, a vitamin, you know, it's very Scientology language, this kind of <laughs> idea of it's just a, a vitamin deficiency. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that I felt that in some ways that I was, you know, that I could manage mine through these other kind of mm. techniques. But like there's lots of people who who do just yeah. need medication and it's really brilliant that it's there yeah isn't it incredible that oh like, thank you know, god that absolutely like i absolutely needed it yeah but it was like and i've said so many times and we did a special on medication it wasn't just like oh i couldn't be arse dealing with it so i'm gonna take medication it was i needed to get yeah. my head i was down here under the table i needed to get my head above here yeah so that i could benefit then from the sleep rituals the going for the walks and of stuff course. because i was so physically hormonally out of whack a hundred percent but not everyone will need to do it and if you do need to do it it doesn't mean that you're in such a desperate state yeah it no, doesn't it, like no, it can literally just, it can just be correcting you, a problem uh, like you know what the only the analogy that i would use is that when i first went into hospital when i was i was hospitalized with anorexia when i was 21 and it was um john of gods and they said that you know we have to refeed you like you know because you can't you're not when you're really underweight and when you're starving yourself you're not cognitively able to go to therapy and you know yeah. undertake this like we need you to get to this level in order that you can absorb yeah. any of the messages that we're trying to you give need to you. get back to basics 100 percent. so when you're yeah. when you're on when you're in that level when you're very depressed or when you're very anxious or when you're very underweight like it's it's it, you can't like you can't it's, it's someone saying to you just get out for a walk like, mm. you may as well just tell me to go climb everest i you know? know it's fuck off like if i knew that was going to make a difference yeah. i would have done it by now yeah or... and that's i think those kind of things are in the 
sustainable like how do I sustain this what's my maintenance plan mm. and that's it was the same with the eating they're like well we're going to refeed you and then when you get and so you'll be eating more and then when you get to this level then it'll it'll be maintenance mm. and it's like so when you get to like an you know like an, an equilibrium yeah. how do you maintain this and then the exercise comes into play exactly. and then the sleeping yeah, yeah. and then the you know yeah. and I think that's the best way to, to approach it um I want to ask you then if if the eating disorder could link back to anxiety and you know that that's why that's happening what does the anxiety link back to like in my own life yeah or... like or is it do you think it's just anxiety that is your your personality and your nature and you're predisposed to it or do you do... I think that I mean I definitely think there's definitely that I am predisposed I think there is an, an element of that people I think... who are creative tend to be well I, I would yeah I can understand that and I, I think with me though it was I was really afraid of getting things wrong um I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted, you know, I I wanted, I, I I was really afraid of making a mistake. So I think there was this anxiety always of, you know, I I, I use this. I was telling someone um, recently about when when I was in college and you know when you play drinking games and if I was at a party and someone would say, oh we're going to play this drinking game and I didn't know how to play it, I wouldn't play it for the first time in front of other people in case I would get it wrong and they would think I was stupid. Like, mm. I would nearly have to go practice the drinking game yeah. by myself in order to feel comfortable. So there was just this constant sort of anxiety of getting it wrong, making a mistake, not being perfect, making a fool of myself. Um, so there was That was kind of always there. Um, mm. And I think that I probably, I was just someone as well, who always pretended everything was totally fine. Were you trying you know? to be someone that you weren't? Uh, uh, constantly. And actually one of the most interesting things about recovery is that I think beforehand I thought that I was going to turn into, like it was going to be the St. Paul and the road to Damascus kind of type of conversion. I was going to become someone who was just really zen and practiced yoga for 10 hours a day and like, you know, didn't really, you know, care for technology and, you know, I'll go back to, you know, the earth and I'll start gardening and I, I don't know, you know, like just, and then actually what I think I've realised that true recovery is is becoming more of who you are mm. not changing into someone else just become and like and accepting is, that maybe you're going to be an anxious person yeah, sometimes and that it's not That's, that yeah i mean everyone has everyone has shit you know and i think the the great thing i suppose about living in the the age that we do live in is, is this was that there is a growing understanding mm. of mental health issues and that most people, well, not most people, but like a huge majority of people will have a struggle with some sort of mental health um, mm. issue at some period um, over their lifetime. And maybe that'll be because of something that's happened, you know, because of a bereavement or because of a, a loss in that way, or because it's just part of your personality and that you learn to manage it in the same way that if you had diabetes or if you yeah. had something like that, that it just it just becomes a very small part of your life that you learn. Mm. I remember people of. used to, I used to hear people describing someone as, oh, like she's this person, whoever. Oh, she's just so laid back, so chilled. And I used to just be so like, I want to be that way. <laughs> yeah. Or like as if that was the ultimate way to be and yeah. to live. And actually, while I'm laid back about a lot of things, like the big things in life, I can be quite like, yeah, okay, we'll deal with this. And it's the little things that I can be like, oh, but that's who I am and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I can't be like successful. But or it whatever clearly, it clearly you know? doesn't, Caroline. Yeah, but um, and I think that's I think that's really great to know, though. Yeah, to just know? accept yourself. Yeah, and that's the goal. Yeah. Did you find that um, writing, obviously, you you were channeling 
so much of what you were experiencing into these characters. Did that help you find your own voice, giving voices to the characters like in The Surface Breaks? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, obviously with The Surface Breaks, I suppose, you know, the which is the retelling of The Little Mermaid and like so much of that story, which is so fascinating looking at it now because I love that story as, as a child um, and it's looking back at it now as an adult and you're like, my God, this is a story about a young woman who literally silences herself um, mm. and gives up her voice and mutilates her body in order that a a man that she barely knows will will find her attractive. Um, and I mean, I just you know because we I think a lot of people say oh you know political political correctness gone wrong, but I think as a child like you absorb these you're like a sponge hundred percent you know you're just absorbing yeah. these messages. And I think for me I was like what what was I learning? Particularly as someone who did inflict harm upon my own body in order to be more attractive or to be more acceptable mm-hmm. um and i think w- when i was writing that book i really wanted to i think reclaim that narrative um and really highlight how problematic um and dangerous a lot of the the messages in it um in it were and i think really to reinforce this idea that particularly for women because you know they like anxiety is so much higher in women like i think mm. it, it affects both genders but you know it is because i think there's there's just this weight of expectation on women as well. Um, and, you know, so often we are told, I think, that what society wants from us is to look pretty and to sort of stay quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, like the appeal of Kate Moss for years was that, you know, that she just never talked. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something so... So messed up. Isn't there? Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose I just really wanted to kind of look at that with um, with the surface breaks um, and just, I know that when I think for me finding my own voice and using that and speaking up and speaking out was that I realised that even though that did make me feel uncomfortable at times and even though that did make me feel anxious at times it was better than when I didn't when I would go home after a party where someone had made a comment that was you know offensive um, or like really hurtful and I didn't say anything and I would go home and I would really internalise that and I would feel so terrible about myself and I'd like and I would berate myself I'd be like, for why didn't you stand up for yourself? Why didn't you say this? You know, you're pathetic and you're this and and it just made me feel so much worse and it made me feel so much more anxious than actually that moment of just saying, That's not okay or mm. I don't feel comfortable with you saying that. And then, you know, you're not you don't have to make a big fuss about it. It's literally yeah. just using your voice mm. and you also use your voice um for yourself in a very empowering decision to stop drinking mm. is that yeah. something that you um yeah i mean i have oh yeah absolutely yeah. um I, I was gonna how long has it been now it's been two years in april i did have a um a half of a glass of champagne the night of the um the premiere of uh the asking oh, for yeah. the play um which you probably is coming, didn't like it i know it was really weird it was i i, I took it a time like a taste i was like oh this is no, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I, it was funny. I, you know what happened was, um, I, I still remember the last time I drank um, because it was this really, it was out, out in Dublin actually and I was out with friends and we were all, I mean, they were in the horrors the next day as well and I just made a really terrible decision um, yeah. and I, involving an ex-boyfriend, she doesn't know this, and I, I woke up the next morning and I just felt, I mean, talk about anxiety, mm. it was just, it was so intense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I just really, I think it was the hate, it was the self loathing. It was that I do not want to be in my body. I just hated myself. Mm. Um, and I just felt, I think that was April and I sort of went into proper recovery in the in June of that year. So I think they were kind of tied up with each other in that I I really, whenever I was hungover, that um, I found it more difficult to make decisions that were I suppose, beneficial for my mental health. And mm-hmm. I, I found it much easier to slip into eating disorder behaviors when I was feeling kind of vulnerable yeah um, which I always did when I was tired and hungover and um so it it just became kind of tied up in that and then I think I just fell out of the habit yeah you know and it's it's true like I have I have like three weddings coming up and they're the worst like those are the hardest so it's kind of in a way like you're you're helping your anxiety by taking away alcohol but then there's the anxiety around society yeah. and yeah. people being... Because it's still rare for an Irish person oh, to... And oh, I just had a statistic the other day that like I think Irish women are like the fourth in the world for heaviest drinkers. Are you serious? Yeah. And I was like, what? I, is... Yeah, it's grim. And that doesn't... It just doesn't help. Like, it, no. you know, and I don't want to sound... You know, I don't want to sound puritanical and I don't want to sound boring. Do you know? And I mean, I know that's a real that's Irish the fear thing. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. But I think it's just when you're talking to people and you're like, oh, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I meditate and I, um, you know, I try not to look. And, and it just makes me sound like I'm this really perfect little person. And I'm just, I'm so far from that. And I think it's really, I don't want, I don't want to sound like this you, sort of paragon of, no, you know. No, but you don't. You just sound like, and that is another thing. It's like, you're what you're saying there is clear to me is that, there's an anxiety around you wanting to do what you want to do when you yeah. want to do it and feeling like you shouldn't because of the way it looks or seems. I know. No, you're right. And I'm trying to kind of get away from that. But I think it's, I suppose you don't want it to seem. Do you, but do you care what people think? I mean, okay, come on, Karen. Like I was going to say every, I feel like every, I, I, I've definitely gotten better. Mm. And I think coming off social media did help with that. Yeah. But like, it's never nice when you know I've had no. a, we've talked about this like I've had a couple of um, situations where people you just know this person does not like you yeah. and you try and reason it and say look my face probably reminds them of someone that they knew in third class that they mm-hmm. didn't like or maybe you know I'm not for everybody you know mm-hmm. I mean yeah. I don't understand I why know. but you know you just have to accept that it's never nice no, and I think not. because it really triggers I think this part of in me that thinks 
especially before, like before I would very, particularly in relationships, I would very deliberately, if I was with someone and they were interested in me and it was a mutual thing, I would be like, oh, I have no time for this person. Kind of like Groucho Marx, you know, I don't want to be part of a club that would have me as a member, you know. Um, And I really consciously, like the two people before my current relationship, which is really, really healthy and loving and, you know, mutually like very supportive and kind, um, before that, there was two people that I kind of would would I would have sort of deemed as the people that I was most I, I I would have said in love with, but now I would say infatuated with, you know. Yeah. And looking back, I can say, oh yeah, those were the two people who were completely emotionally unavailable, never gave me any like room to be myself, never gave me any like. And to be fair to them, they never gave me any indication that they wanted any sort of real relationship either. But because they withheld their approval from me, they were the person that I wanted the approval mm. from most in the world. And actually, the reason behind it, Caroline, was because I thought they know the real me. These people that like me and who think who want to be with me, they are fooled. Whereas this person who clearly doesn't think I'm good enough, they can see my insides. And if I can get this person to fall in love with me, maybe... I am good enough. Maybe mm. I can sort of accept that. Yeah. And actually it was a fear of intimacy and a fear of being vulnerable as well because subconsciously I knew that they would never be, they, I would never have to be vulnerable with me because they would never give me that space. Mm. Um, and with Richard, with when we first started dating, a lot of anxiety came up around the beginning and a lot of discomfort. And I had to sort of sit with this that I actually feel more comfortable in a relationship where I'm being treated badly. And that was a really hard thing to kind of have to work through and sort of try and figure out where that came from. And you have to allow him to love you. Yeah. Oh, he's determined. (laughs) But you were probably looking for a way to show that he wasn't or something, you know. Like I felt when, when I was getting sort of serious with Barry is when I started to really experience anxiety and we've talked about this um I had him on the podcast as well and how I was like you need to go and be free like this is not fair for you this is not what you signed up for this is you know you you thought you were getting the Instagram Caroline and now you're getting Caroline like with mascara on her face on the side before <laughs> still a babe <laughs> and he was like but I love you I don't I was like no 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 yeah. you don't though you don't like you don't and he's like no but I do I want to be here and I was like self-sabotaging trying to yeah. be like you I don't know, it's like I didn't deserve it or something. I don't deserve and, someone to love me and like you, that. And, and the thing is, well, firstly, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, you know, if he was experiencing these issues, if he was going through something really difficult or traumatic or was having that kind of experience, you would want to be there for him. Yeah. Like if he turned to you and said, oh, you should leave, you know, you shouldn't be here for it. It would be so insulting yeah. and hurtful because you would think, "Is that, how could you think that I, I wouldn't want to be here. Like, how could you think that? Yeah. And, but I think it's that sense of that you don't want to be a burden. Exactly. Do you know? And that's such a thing for people with anxiety yeah. is that they feel burdensome on almost everyone in their life. Yeah. It's so, it's so tough. When it comes to your anxiety day to day, what are your, what are your top things that you do? So the CBD? Yes, the CBD oil is great. Um, the transcendental meditation, which is a relatively new, like I, I've sort of been meditating on and off since I was, I, I did a course in Trinity when I was, 18 and then I, I remember when I was in New York I joined sort of like a Buddhist um, meditation group that I used to go to twice a week um, after my shifts um, and it was it was good whereas with this one it's it's still early on so I sort of feel like I, I don't want to give a very mm. conclusive answer because it sounds intimidating to me well I will say it's the easiest form of meditation I've ever oh, done okay. it feels so effortless like when we first did it I was like this can't be 
Scatty what do you do in it? Well, it's a bit like Fight Club. You're not really supposed to talk oh, about okay, it. Okay. I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> um, so you have to you you have to go and see someone. Like you can't you can't kind of learn it by yourself. And so you, for four consecutive days, you go and you have a, an hour and a half um, meeting with a teacher, um, and they give you a mantra um, and they teach you how to do it. And then you have to do it for twenty minutes twice a day. Now, when I've been doing other meditations five minutes even a day I'm like oh this is so oh, yeah. boring yeah. I cannot do this my brain this is I cannot explain how easy it is okay and I know that sounds really weird mm. because it's 20 minutes and it's longer but it just feels it, it, it feels very deep very quickly it feels really easy it feels really effortless which is the whole point of it they're like if you you're if you're, if you're exerting effort you're yeah you the they're like you're getting it wrong you know there is no yeah, wrong yeah, or right yeah. but like which i hate but anyway um and i'm so used to really make, working really hard and making a huge effort that actually being told to do less was quite challenging <laughs> so like, hard. i need to get this I right know, i need to be the I best know. meditator in the world and as well for people with anxiety i had this conversation with with sheila shoga about breathing as a as a way of or meditating or anything where you just have to be still and be with yourself it's like the opposite of what an anxious person wants they want to get out of their head they, it's scary to yeah. sit there with yourself so yeah. that's the biggest challenge yeah. isn't it well I, I i think with this though it's different because it's not mindfulness and mindfulness i do try and practice during the day which i know can be really difficult for people with um anxiety because mm-hmm. you don't want to be present mindfulness i find very useful to kind of give it feels like it gives me more time it feels as if i can you know i'm, I'm yeah. not constantly in my head thinking i i'm rushed and i'm busy so it's it's tm is very different to mindfulness tm sort of feels like there's kind of a blissfulness to it. I know that sounds really weird. It's really enjoyable. Like okay. I sit down and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this 20 minutes. Really? Yeah, it's really... Do you come away? You obviously produce loads of lovely delta waves and all those Yeah, nice... like it's a lot of serotonin and, you know, um, things like that. But it's very... I remember even with... um with Sorry, now I'm going to be rambling about this because this was quite new to me. So I'm still like mm. learning it. I'm not learning it, but still sort of experiencing it um, as a new thing. But um, with meditation when I'm finished normally with normal meditation I'm like oh I'm done I'm ready to go whereas with TM it actually takes me a few minutes to come out of it that's good it feels nearly like I'm nearly like yeah <sighs> like it's almost like a physical like a drug feeling yeah, yeah. honestly I swear to so God so do you do that twice a day yeah every day yeah um, and that has minutes. been yeah like yesterday now when I arrived here I was so hurried I had to go to an event and I was meeting a friend and I had to do my makeup and I was feeling really bothered so I was like I just ha- I had to do you can't do it at night time because it gives you a boost of energy so oh, you have to do okay. it sort of in the e- like it's in the morning when you first get up and then around four or five o'clock or okay. you know, six yeah. whenever you kind of come back from work to give you a, a bit of energy for the rest of the evening so I did it and then when I was finished I just felt like oh my god I feel amazing wow so I really I mean look as yeah. I said I want to give sort of, and I think but you've just found what works for you 100% and I also think a big thing um, that I try and say to people is I don't really believe in one thing fits all no. you know you meet people who are vegans or you meet people who are paleo and all they eat is meat and they're like this is the only way and I said actually no everyone's different everyone's body is different everyone's experience is different everyone's like schedule and lifestyle is different and you it's kind of trial and er- error mm-hmm. you know you have to sort of look around and you go oh like for a while I found yoga incredibly beneficial I did yoga twice like I went to a yoga class twice a week for oh god around five years um, and that was amazing and then it turned into a point where I was like actually I need to sweat more so now I go to like a weights class yeah and I do that three times a week and then I swim and it changes yeah you know? exactly. and I think it's really about trying to listen to yourself mm-hmm. and the problem is, is that we're so used to 
silencing ourselves and silencing our needs and silencing our urges and silencing our appetites and trying to control what we eat and what we you know that we don't actually sit with ourselves and say what does my body need what does my body need right now you know my mom always said to me and I, it stuck with me forever, is obey your body. Yeah. So That's really good advice. And I feel like I have a very, I feel like something good that my anxiety has given me is a very sharp awareness between my mind and my body. And whereas before, I think my body would have been working independently of my mind. So, mm. you know, m- my body would be showing my anxiety before my mind realised I was dealing with something. Yeah. Whereas now, it's, they're so much more aligned. And, and if I, if my body feels like, I know people say like, you'll never regret a workout you know of doing it but sometimes my body is like no like I just need to lie in the bed yeah. and breathe and there's something wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with that and like the worst thing you can do then is berate yourself for not doing it and so. see this is the problem I think is that we we're all we're so hard on ourselves yeah. and like you know I read a, a very good book it was called Kindfulness oh. um, and it was about self-compassion and I think that's one of the hardest things because yeah. we've been taught about the importance of self-esteem but self-esteem is so directly linked to achievement and outside external forces which actually you have no control over exactly and it's it's self-compassion is well even if i fail yeah um, and even if this all goes wrong or you know if i write a book and it's critically panned do i still can i still love myself can i still be kind to myself and you know like i feel like you know we're talking about this here and I, i i i i suppose you know people might listen and say oh wow she sounds like she's got it all together and it's like well i'm actually having a really good month and then yeah. I could have a week exactly. where things feel awful. But you're and, a human you know, being, and and I think that that is part of it as well. Is you're I, gonna you're gonna react badly to something, you know? Oh, yeah. But yeah. over time, you're. I guess it, it, it's not like a direct path up to like perfection. It's like you learn. You yeah. have two steps forward, one step back, 100%. or else you know. Actually, I've been in this situation before. I know how better to react to this, and that just comes with experience and like diving inwards to yourself and all the efforts that you're making as well. Yeah, and you know, I think you know. I remember reading um, both of your books um, and thinking this is such a great little toolkit. You know that there's like tips and there's. Um, just little you know that if you're stuck and you're like well here is a a method or mm. a an idea or a um a little resource that you can use mm-hmm. try this not trick is the wrong word but you know yeah. like try this um idea and the more that you have of those i think mm-hmm. um resources in your arsenal yeah the more able that you are to cope with things and also not that you're not going to make mistakes or not that you're going to react badly but sometimes to bounce back quicker that's it, you know. That's, that's that the point I was trying to get. Yeah. Meltdown, but that doesn't yeah. turn into because sometimes I think my life can feel like dominoes. That it, you know, when it's going well, it's it kind of continues to go well, and then when it goes badly, that sometimes that feels like that can kind of spiral as well. Yeah. But it's trying to be able to catch. Yes. You know, and and to be able to bounce back and go. Okay, I had a bad day. I'm not going to let a bad day turn into exactly. a bad week yeah. or a bad month. You or know? like I still, I mean, I've said this a, a, lot, a lot of times, but I felt like a lot of pressure and anxiety when the book came out that people were going to assume that I was like, had it figured out and cured. And I'm obviously always stressing the importance of, it's not about that at all. Yeah. But when I do feel anxiety, like I don't, I tend not to feel anxiety as much because I don't mind when it comes because I know when it comes, I'll bounce back from it. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Whereas and the first time I think it feels like, it's like a, this you get is a, my life now, yeah, you know? You feel like this is my life. I'm never going to be any different. Yeah. And do you still do therapy? Oh yeah. Um, I, I try and go every two weeks. Um, sometimes if I'm having very bad body image, um, kind of, you know, if, it, if I'm going through a phase where I'm really struggling with that, um, I, it's, it's up to a week, um, once, mm-hmm. once a week. And the thing is, is I do a lot of like you look. You know when you were learning piano, right? Or well, I'm not sure. If I you did piano. piano. Yeah. I was such a, sorry, that was such a middle class <laughs> presumption. You know when we were learning 
learning piano. No, I actually did. But, uh, sorry, when I was learning piano, like I was terrible for practicing. So I'd go in once a week and like, you know, we'd be doing the scales and then she'd go, go home and practice. You cannot go to your piano lesson once a week or to your therapy um, session once a week and think that's like going to the gym once a month and thinking that you're going to get fit like yeah. it has to be you have to when I I do I read a lot of self-help books mm-hmm. I journal I'm so sorry I know I'm making this sound really boring and this is no, like, like another so full time like another full time yeah. job um, but I think it, it's that kind of it's consistency yeah it ha- and, and it doesn't have to be like you know I, I read a self, uh, whatever self-help book that I'm doing at the moment I read it for maybe half an hour or an hour before I go to bed okay. I don't like to read fiction before I go to bed because I have really strange dreams so I okay. like that kind of that sort of positive um, material to be going in and I'll do a little bit of like writing exercises so it's not that mm. you know you don't have to spend hours on it you oh. know every day what's the biggest thing you've learned from going to therapy and having someone reflect your reality back oh, to you oh god I think the biggest thing which I'm still learning is self-compassion it's the I hardest s- thing it, it, it's just still learning that that I I suppose that I'm deserving of love just by mere mere kind of virtue of being alive yeah that I don't have to do anything to make myself worthy of being loved or being lovable and I think that that has to really start with myself because I'm so I think I'm a really I'm a I, I hope you know that I'm a good friend and that I'm compassionate to people and that you know, people can come to me and tell me things and I'm I really try not to judge and I'm pretty unshackable. Well I can attest to that. Oh thank you Caroline. <laughs> um, and I think it would just be nice sometimes to that that I'm that I'm understanding of other people's flaws and frailties and and you know they're that I'm very understanding of other people's mistakes but then when it, I, I hold myself up to a completely different standard mm-hmm. um, and it, it's just trying to constantly challenge that and say you know it's okay it's okay I, you know I wish someone had I wish someone had maybe sat with me when I was a child and said it's okay to make this mistake it's okay to fail at this it's yeah. okay to get this wrong you can try again. Yeah. This is will not. Be but you would have been rewarded for things working out, and yeah. then you straight away as a kid linked that with approval. Oh, hundred percent. And I suppose I was probably you know I was I was good in school, and yeah. there was things like that, and and I suppose as well you know like my dad would have been a really like you know he would have been someone who and and he didn't he was really he was really kind to us, and he never sort of put any of that but I think as a child you absorb it he would have been very hard in himself I think he would have had very he's a Virgo I think he would have had very high standards for himself and he would have mm. been a real perfectionist and myself and my sister both my mother is the most I mean honestly I really wish we had taken after her she is the most relaxed person <laughs> like we were at a gym class recently she came with me and I started to feel kind of sick um, midway through it and I said oh I feel really sick and she went well we go home and she was so <laughs> eager she nearly was like one foot out the door it would never have occurred to me that mm. I could go and yeah. like if my if that had been my dad it, or my yeah. sister there they would have said push through it yeah do, do you know that yeah, kind of like just push through it just keep going through it you you know you, you, you are in see, control you of see that, going you know? home as being a quitter yeah as I absolutely as failing as you know as whereas she was like well you're not feeling well what's yeah what's the point but there's like quitting when you don't want to quit is is would be I guess quitting quitting when something is no longer serving you is self-compassion a hundred percent um and I think that that's been that that's been such a learning experience for me you know and separate to career achievements because I, I think we all in society tend to focus so much on yeah. that with you and your journey I hate that word but yeah it's been one what are you most proud of with yourself that's really interesting you know what and it, it's it's 
it's funny I remember last year when I had the, my first year kind of anniversary of really being properly and actually I would have said like I said I had a relapse in 2016 I think I had sort of accepted that I was going to be someone who was going to be 80% recovered mm-hmm. that I would go four months you know very well and then have a month of really like you know um, a lot of vomiting or a lot of kind of restriction or you know like uh, you know re- that the eating would go off kilter and then I would get back on track mm-hmm. I so I had accepted that I was only ever going to be you know as I said 80% so I think in the last two years of being like f- you know fully recovered like I've been very healthy um, I remember last year in June and I had the first year anniversary and I said it to my parents I said oh you know it's one year and they were so thrilled and my dad said to me he said I've, this is the most proud he said this is the thing he said any of the other stuff he said I just that's lovely he said but this is the thing I'm most proud of and it reminded me of when I got my leaving cert results because I was in Spain at the time and my dad went to collect them um, and they'd done really like really well in my in my exams um, and I think I came like second in my year like you know I'd, wow. done, really, I'd done really well but I had um, so however many I can barely remember now but however many honours subjects and maths was my past subject because I was really weak at maths and he rang and he said, which still makes me laugh because it was such a poor result. But anyway, he had to do his, I'm so proud of you. You got a C in past maths. And I was like, just tell me what I've fucking gotten the rest of it. <laughs> and then he, that was because all of the rest of it came so easy to me mm. that he just, he was like, oh, yeah, Grant. But it was the fact, I think, that he was like, he knew I had really had to work yeah. for that C in past maths. Like, mm. I really had to sort of like struggle for that. So I think he was, that was more, he was like, this is really meaningful. Mm. So for me, I think, I you know, actually people talk about success and they say how has that changed your life and I'm like well you know it's changed certain things it's nice to have money it's not you know there's things like I was very broke until I was 30 and the first two books sold for 15,000 euro so like I got you know it was like seven and a half grand for a year you know so that was you know so it's not exactly you know I was living at home with my parents because I couldn't afford Mm -hmm. and to live anywhere else so things like that have been really nice um and but actually they ha- the thing that has had the biggest impact on my day-to-day life like that hasn't because I still live at Clonakilty I still like get up and I go to my desk and I still feel like exactly the same mm-hmm. the thing that has had the biggest impact on my day-to-day life has been recovery has been I think really putting my mental health um as my priority um mm-hmm. because I think what was really interesting after asking for it um, was that I actually began to realise when I'd had a very major relapse after that, I think I, I was beginning to realise that I had started to carve out an identity for myself based upon my success. Um, because I didn't know who I, like, I didn't have any other real sense of identity. And there mm. was a part of me that felt very, very connected with that, that if I went to a dinner or if I met someone new that I it gave me a sense of confidence that yeah. I could go, Well, I'm an author and yeah. you know, I've had this certain amount of success and and it was so false. It was exactly the same way that I that I felt a sense of pride in having a certain number on the weighing scales or wearing clothes that were a certain, you know, that I would also derive a sense of pleasure and a sense of self worth and a sense of um I suppose self esteem from that as well and that I realised I was like I can't I can't because these are so easily taken away from me mm-hmm. you know like a book will come out and some people will like it and some people won't you know one book will do better than the other mm-hmm. you you know your weight will fluctuate um, and it has to be so 
firmly rooted in myself and that's something that I'm, I, I do every day and that's I think will be my life's work is mm. coming back to myself coming back to myself coming back to myself you know starting to identify with success or starting to identify with the way I look or starting to and then no no no, no back mm. to myself and know. do you have a mantra that you tell yourself every day or um, an affirmation you know not really like I well actually that's not true I do have a a, a few things and it's funny because they're and actually the reason why I said not really was because I felt a little bit embarrassed no I think it's because they sound really religious and and I'm not religious I think I've been quite outspoken about how I feel about the Catholic Church yeah um but I'm really I'm so spiritual and I think that actually one of the probably part of the um, anxiety and the um, eating disorder I suppose with any sort of addiction it's like this search for a higher meaning um, and a search for I think a, a sense of connection um, so for me a lot of it is connected to a greater power um, a higher power something greater than I am and asking that higher power to use me for the greater good mm. you know it's that thing of um, you know make me a channel for your peace um, and I know that's like I know people are like, oh my god, she's a real, you know, like, like a born again Christian or something. Um, and she's here in her robes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I suppose that's what I just try and you know, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go? Who would you have me see? And what would you have me say to them? Mm. Um, and there's a sense of I think that connection that it feels really profound to me. God, I you know if I was listening to this, I'd be like, she is such, she is some dope. I swear, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm not like this. Most of the time, I'm not like this. I suppose it's the, but when I this is, probably, but I'm asking you these questions yeah. about you know about how you look so, after yourself. It's so self important. No, Maybe a channel of your but peace, God. Thing. But right, I'm gonna stop you there because like. Oh, she's very self-important. Yeah, we should, fucking should be self-important. Why? Right? I mean, no, but like self-importance doesn't have to mean you don't care about anyone else. But yeah. you should like we should be putting ourselves and our needs. No, you're right. Up there, you're right. Stop. See, like we have this mess no, of perception. You're, you're totally right, and we need to prioritize. And you know, it's that in, that cliche used time and time again. You know, when there's an emergency, and they say put on your mask, mask before yeah. you attend to anyone else because you can't. Yeah, you you, you can't. Yeah, like, and or, I think you know it's. It's just trying to, I think, be in your best, to not idea of like be your best self, which is so sound, is so obnoxious, but like to, to try and be, and not to be someone else's idea of what your best self looks like, to actually be someone that you feel comfortable with, just to be you, yourself, a hundred percent, and whatever that looks like, yeah. Um, and I think that if we could learn that, like from really early on, that you don't have to please other people, which is something we've talked about, you know, the kind of people pleasing thing, which just is a weight and mm-hmm. a burden I think um, that it particularly is placed on, on women um, and just to try and let that go and just say look I can only be myself mm-hmm. and some people will like me and some people won't and I'm still learning to try and be okay with that you know yeah I know yeah it's just it's an ongoing an ongoing yeah. learning um, before I let you go I suppose just a question for the fangirl in me and for <laughs> everyone else who'll be listening of all the, the female characters that you've written who would you most identify with <gasps> Oh God! Um, mm, 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 mm. Probably, you know what's really funny because she was the one that everyone hated the most. It was probably Sarah and all this. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is so funny because I I remember it not not now, but definitely when I was younger, when I was in my early twenties, I was so I was so there was so much self loathing and there was so much anger and there was so much frustration in me, and I think that I just. It'd be, I had so much like unexpressed 
fury nearly and I didn't know how to give voice to that and I, I really I could really lash out at people who were closest to me and it was only really when I began like to really recover and to get into therapy and to start taking care of myself that all of that kind of dissipated um, so I could really identify with I think when you're when you're when you're damaged which I was you know when I was particularly I think at 19 or 20 which I was doing an event last night with um, a French author and we were talking about sexual violence and she said it's like poison. She was raped when she was nine. Her name is Adelaide um, Bond and she was raped when she was nine and she said, you don't understand the impact that it has. It kind of spreads around the rest of your life. And when I was sexually assaulted when I was 19, I, 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 I sort of put it in the box and said, I'm not going to think about that, which is how I dealt with anything that mm-hmm. was sort of mental, um, like what I was saying earlier with anxiety, put it in the box, never think about it again. So when that happened um, and afterwards, I just couldn't figure out. I was like, I don't know why I don't want to get out of bed. I don't know why taking a shower feels like that's going to take me nearly two hours of sort of preparing myself mentally mm-hmm. to do that. And I don't know why I feel so angry. And I don't know why I want to hurt the people that are closest to me. And I don't know why I want to hurt the people who I love the most and who love me. I just didn't, I couldn't connect it to the mm-hmm. fact that I had been violated and that I had had like a part of me taken and that I was never going to get that part back. I couldn't connect those two. And I think I wanted to create a character with Sarah where she, I mean, it's totally different, you know, that it was, she had lost her mother and she had never really dealt with that, that mm-hmm. because she was damaged, that she had this anger and that she inflicted that upon other people. And I really wanted, I really wanted to do that in a really compassionate way. And it was actually really hard for me when like people really yeah. when you know the, like every single review was like she's just such a bitch and she's just the worst person in the world and I felt like god did I really fail the character did I not did I not try and portray that in a way that felt realistic oh, but I think that just shows more what's wrong with people's perceptions than what's well wrong I think with particularly for women do you know that there is this sort of idea of like an unlikable female character is just almost impossible to kind of so it was just really make her any less worthy it was really challenging and oh they're like she's God. just this character and I was like oh Christ better not yeah so I guess for you that's kind of like oh well does that mean you need to be really nice and perfect to be accepted and to be I, I mean yeah and, but I actually think I probably had come to a point in my life and I suppose as well because I felt so far removed from yeah. that person because I'd done so much work on myself and because I'd worked through so much of that anger and that I was able to kind of say look damaged people lash out like it's you know like a cornered rat will attack you know it's that's kind of part of I mean not for everybody but for for a lot of people and I think there's such a lack of understanding that when we have people who are suffering with mental health issues um, or with anxiety with depression um, or who have been through some sort of trauma whether that's domestic violence or sexual violence it's much easier for us to empathise with them if they are kind or if they're crying or if they're mm. upset. But actually, if they're behaving in ways that are unpleasant, they're behaving in ways that are angry or frustrated or that they're pushing you away or they're being really aggressive, it's actually very difficult to kind of find it in yourself to be compassionate because you're like, I'm trying to help and yeah. you feel they feel like you're pushing grateful. it away. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's, it's, again, I think, trying to get away from these ideas or these uh, preconceptions that we have around the way that people should behave when they have mental um, illness or they should behave when they've been the victim mm-hmm. um, or they're a survivor. That it's like there's a very broad spectrum of behaviour under all of these umbrellas um, and that we have to try and, I suppose, 
hold some sort of compassion and kindness even though that can be really difficult yeah you know? no it's such a good point yeah it's absolutely like it's so much more easy to feel sorry for someone or be there for someone if they're you know like anxiety is sometimes I think easier for people to take because it's like, oh she's scared yeah. more so than like depression maybe where you're just angry and down yeah. it's like just don't be that way yeah. you know so yeah we still have we've learned a lot but there's a oh, long so a long way much, to go so much more yeah. you know because I think people still think with mental health issues that you could you could just get over it if you were strong enough yeah and actually the thing is is that people with mental health issues are probably some of the strongest people exactly. you know because you have to manage something that is so debilitating mm. and, and go out in the world and exist and do your job and yeah and you know interact with people and not allow it to completely derail mm. yeah it's like life, you know? someone said to me like it's easy to feel good on a sunny day, but like mm. try and like center yourself and feel okay in the middle of a shitstorm, mm. you know. And mm. that's what people who are dealing with mental health difficulties are doing. They're yeah. trying to steady their balance in a storm. Yeah. And someone who isn't going through that is, you know, it's easy to just walk through your day when the sun is shining, yeah. you know, to keep to, to use that analogy. Um, but Louise O'Neill, I have <gasps> loved chatting that to you. Was so, so good. Oh. I was going to say this was just such an excuse for us. Oh to yeah, hang out, basically. I know. I know. I've got such my fill. I got to ask all my questions, and the rest of the world gets to be in it as well. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much oh, for you giving for me your time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The easiest way to access owning it real time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top 
you can sign up right away for owning it real time and access the full library of 10 situation specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.